thanks everyone for joining. Uh, yes, Jennifer, I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself. So I think all of you guys know Jennifer. Um, she's been a coach for, I think, over 25 years, working corporate for 29 years and specializing in anxiety for the last four years. Um, and she's helping people overcome anxiety and realizing that anxiety is their friend um, and, not, um, and basically using it to their advantage. So we're here today to see how, how to overcome anxiety, what it is, how it can um, how it can manifest in everyday life and basically how Jennifer can help you if that's something that you're struggling with. So Jennifer, yes, tell us a bit of, a little bit about your story, please. Well, how did you, how did you come to do what you're doing today? To be honest, um, I have struggled with anxiety. Well, since I was a child back then, many years ago, we didn't recognize it as being anxiety. I was just a very shy awkward kid and um, the, the most defining moment for me was when I was at school and I was not paying too much attention as usual it was beginning of high school and the classrooms were in a quad layout and I was busy looking out the window and then I heard my name and I was called up to speak at the front of the classroom and that was something that I absolutely hated because I hated to be the centre of attention, I had to be in front of the crowd, um, it was all a little bit overwhelming, so I got up to the front of the classroom, I didn't know which page of the book I was meant to read out, um, I had the book open in front of me, someone shouted out the page and I started reading. I was stumbling over my words and the paragraph had a word that was split over two lines, the word was champagne ironically, um, and I couldn't pronounce, I couldn't work out the word, so I said champagne, and the class erupted into laughter, I was, I was bright red, I was shaking, I was sweating, I was anxious, um, that moment has stayed with me for life, and I sort of went home and I said to my dad, at the awful day, really, really bad, and he said, it's okay, Jen, it's not a problem, we're just not good at stuff like that, we're not good at socialising with people. We're not good at mixing with people. We're better off just keeping our heads down and not getting involved with others. Okay, that's fine. I had a, I had a solution. Keep my head down and not get involved. So I went through the whole of school, quite shy, quite kept myself, didn't have too many friends. Um, I was very short, overweight. My family used to call me Mrs. Mitchellin. And sort of stuck with me as I was just the little fat person really um, had no confidence so when I went through school I was always going to go and be a secretary with my dad's company and I left school and on the last day I went up to London with a friend of mine and she was going into an employment agency and she asked me if I'd go with her on the train so I sat there in the agency and they asked me to fill in a few forms, which I did. And that afternoon in 1987, I landed a job in an investment bank. So I was this shy little girl from Chelmsford, now working in investment banking. Um, it was 1987, the stock market was at its height and then it crashed. And everything changed. Um, 
I liked it. I was fine doing things in London. I got a bit more confidence. I got my first boyfriend. He helped me get more confident. Um, and life carried on as, as it was. And I ended up progressing higher and higher up a career ladder. Now, I'm, I wasn't ever ambitious. But I kept on getting promoted. And it was as much as a surprise to me as it was to anybody else. But looking back now, I can realise how it happened. I was constantly trying to hide behind the people that were in my team. So I was very, very good at empowering everyone else. Whilst I still suffered massively with imposter syndrome and I kept having anxiety breakdowns constantly. I was always having panic attacks. I couldn't walk into a meeting room without being really, really flustered. Um, I'd always make sure I'd be coming in with other staff, other members of my team. I'd walk in behind them. And I'd, I'd basically try and make myself as inconspicuous as possible. Because I was constantly... Did you realise that at the time? That that's what you were doing? Did you no, no. I had no idea at the time. But because I kept on empowering everyone, because I was trying to hide, that was why I kept getting promoted. But it was just crazy, really. And, and this imposter syndrome just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it looked like I was living the dream. I was, I'd been working in New York, I'd been working in Stockholm, um, Germany, I'd been in Holland, I've been in Spain, um, had nice cars, I had a boat. Um, you know, I had everything, materialistic things. But I, wasn't getting time to see, yeah, but I wasn't getting time to see my daughter. So she was then going up to senior school, hence brought me back to the time when I had such a horrific time. And I decided now was time to quit London. I'd fallen out of love with the job. Um, my team didn't need me. There was nothing more I could add to them. I put them to the place that they could be the best that they could be at that, as far as I could take them. And I decided to quit. So I left London and I came home and I thought, oh, now what do I do? And I decided to take a year out and work out what I really, really wanted to do. And I decided that the thing I loved doing was coaching everybody else and helping other people to be more empowered. But how the hell do you put that into a job? What, what can you put on a CV that tells you that's what you like doing? So someone suggested I went and spoke to a life coach, which is what I did. And I really liked what she was doing and what she had to say. I went to see another life coach and I really liked what he had to say too. And one of them I was seeing for personal reasons and one of them I was seeing for business reasons. And they were both saying to me, but you should be doing this. Why are you not doing this? Why, why are you being, one of them used the word selfish by not sharing what you already know. And I thought about it a little bit more and I, I went and did a bit more training and it suddenly then dawned on me I'd had anxiety all this time. I just hadn't labelled it as such. I'd labelled it as I was not very good in social situations, imposter syndrome, because really I shouldn't have been doing the job that I was doing in my head. Mm. Um, I wasn't very interesting. I didn't know much about anything. Um, you know, I, I wasn't capable of doing much at all. And then I realised it hit me. So I then started on a bit of a mission. I... I went on a 10 day silent retreat to work out what it was I really wanted to do. There was no talking and those of you that know me now know that that was um, not easy. 
and there was not even any eye contact with anyone. And I came out of there being 100% clear on what I wanted to do. The, the world was full of anxiety. The thing that was holding us all back was fear. It was the fear of being judged. It was the fear of failure. Um, it was the fear of overwhelm. It all came back to anxiety. And that's when I realised it, it was obvious that I needed to get involved with it. That's uh, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing this story. It's really an interesting journey. And I think what stands out is that how we didn't realise that for all these years. And, and the thing is, we're so busy living. Yeah. We're so used to living the life we know. We don't ever challenge the way we behave. Hmm. Yeah. So I didn't question it. Absolutely. And isn't it funny how one moment in life, let's say when your father told you that that's who we are, that's what we do, can define you unless you unless you realize that and challenge that belief it can define you for potentially the rest of your life absolutely take me years to realize that so before we 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 dig into your anxiety i think it's useful i at least for me it's it'd be useful to define what it what it really is because i think there's so much um there's so much over it can mean so many different things uh, doesn't it? So what is it, what is it for you? What is it that you help people with? It's the fear of being judged by others and quite often um, it is limiting beliefs. It's, we learn a lot of this, I call it BS, it's your belief system. Yeah. <laughs> BS is very appropriate. We, yeah. we learn a lot of this about the age of five upwards. So a coping strategy that I had at five years old, I was still using at 40 years old. Now, life's moved on, and those same coping strategies don't work. But unless you know to look outside of yourself and what you already know, you carry on making the same mistakes. You carry on living the same life with the same things. And you need someone to say, you hang on a minute, what makes you think that what you're thinking is right? Um, and we don't have those conversations. So, so that was one of the main reasons I was able to have those conversations with people that I used to be working with, when they used to say to me, I can't do this, I don't know it, I'm not technically minded, um, I don't have the right, um, whatever it would be. I could then say to other people, yes, you do, you absolutely do, and this is how we can do it. But I couldn't see it in myself. So when I left London, I then decided to, I got involved with a lot of charities and through working with different charities, I was able to recognize just how many of these traits I had myself. Um, and that's how I think it's, it's good for me because I've got a really broad range of experiences with working with different cultures and different countries, working with people from all walks of life, with my charity work. Um, you can see I've been exposed to and ways of thinking that um, I've been very, very lucky to have um, because I've got quite broad vision of it all and not all of us do. So that why, is why I think I can bring something to the table for most people. Okay. So when do people usually come to you? Is it, um, I think we spoke about this before with you that some people or most people realize they have anxiety when something major happens in their life um in, in fact i um, i have a personal experience with this i mean i've always been kind of anxious but it really manifested itself a few years ago 
when I had a lot of stress in my life. And I think that's the case for most people. So when people come to work with you, how do they get to a point where they say, okay, I need to do something about it? What, what, what's the trigger for them to start working? It varies. Um, I had one man that um, his son actually approached me because his dad could no longer leave the house. He was so anxious about leaving the house. Um, and his son asked me if there's anything I could do. I agreed to go and speak to this gentleman. Um, and the first meeting we had was through his lounge window because he wouldn't come to the door, he wouldn't open the door, but he would open the window a little bit. <laughs> and one of the things that I do do is I try and take people outside because I really, really think being out in nature is so good for anxiety and our mental health in general. I take people on walk and talk. So now we go walking on a regular basis. Um, and and that, that did take a while. It took about six months to get there. Um, but, you know, it's one extreme to another. Um, and that's, that's probably, for me, one of the biggest fields of, of the work that I do. You can see the progress that people make. And another client of mine had had a panic attack when he was, he was a very um, successful man. Um, hedge fund manager and he'd had a panic attack whilst he was around holiday and he just couldn't get over that he it had impacted every area of his life and um, he'd been in therapy for about five six years before he met me um, and then we've worked to overcome that as well um, and, and I think one of the things I should mention is a lot of people rely on CBT cognitive behavior therapy and a lot of my clients have come to me because they've had CBT and it doesn't work. Now, I do think it's a great thing to get people unstuck and to get you thinking differently, but I don't think it solves the underlying problem. So I use a combination of CBT together with other techniques to help people overcome it. Um, one of the other ways people come to me is parents often ask me to work with their children, um, be it teenagers or a you know, in their mid to late 20s, early 30s, it often takes somebody else to notice mm. um, they've got anxiety. So it could, it could be a variety of different reasons, really. Okay. And tell us a bit, a, a bit about um, these walks, walk and talk. I think that's really interesting because not a lot of, not a lot of people do that. No. No, that, that's a flash uh, back from when I worked in Sweden. And Sweden are amazingly good at getting us all understanding the importance of nature. So um, I was working particularly long hours and I never had a chance to um, take a lunch break or anything. But what the Swedes always did was make sure they got out in daylight. And as you know, in winter, it gets dark really early. So you don't have a long window to be outside in daylight. So I used to start having all my meetings going for a walk when I lived in Sweden and it worked particularly well it's it's very very good as well if you're in conflict with somebody and you've got you're trying to get your opinion across and they don't agree with you if you're in a work environment if I took someone out for a walk completely disarmed then you could have a much um, more open conversation there wasn't this and um, they weren't trying to fight you for their to get their opinion across it just changed the dynamics of everything Mm -hmm. So I continued doing walks and talks or walking meetings in the corporate world and it just seemed obvious to me to do it in my own practice. I, I personally would far rather be outside and um, I do see people in my consultancy room but I'd far rather be outside in nature and um, so it was the next best thing.
that's amazing i think that is open up a lot more yeah also because you as you said you walk side by side so you don't have that eye contact which can be quite exactly and also you look far ahead so it opens up your mind as opposed to looking one you know one meter ahead of you or or, or just straight into one either person's eyes that's really your posture's different your posture you sort of stand up your shoulders are back when you're walking yeah if if i see people that come to my consultancy room they're sort of far more enclosed whereas you're more open to ideas when you're walking And, and i used to laugh a lot being in the corporate world when they used to talk about things like blue sky thinking, and I said, oh God, whatever. Um, there's some truth in it. I now see it. People are more open to sharing ideas and looking at things differently when you are outside in nature. Yeah, your horizon is completely different. That's amazing. And you know what? I have, um, I've worked with coaches for a few years now, uh, helping them with uh, social media and promotion and stuff like that. And I've spoken to probably probably hundreds, probably a couple of hundred coaches at least. And you're, I know one person, but it's somewhere, I think she's somewhere in, in Northern England. You're the second person out of hundreds I know that does this. So it's really, really, really rare, but it's such a, such a fascinating concept. So uh, it's incredible. Um, in terms of the way you work, I'm, I'm, I mean, I could talk about approaches to healing anxiety or whatever it may be for ages, but um, I just want the highlights of how you work because I know you have quite a unique approach to how you work. And as you mentioned, CBT is something that most people know because that's pretty much the only approach to dealing with anxiety that's approved by the NHS, right? Yeah. yeah. So it is. To me, it's 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 um it's, it's well, it's a shame that they're not more open to more approaches. But in any case, tell us a bit more about the things that you work with. So you combine CBT and what else? I trained in NLP, Neuro Linguistic Program, and Neuroscience, and I found the two of them were invaluable. So Neuro Linguistic Programming would very much look at um the way we talk to ourselves, the way we um you know our beliefs, the way we speak. Um, and, and the neurology, the, the brain pathways that we create. So it will enables us to change your neural pathways as they are right now. But an example I could use, I think I've spoken to you about it before, dear. But if you take a London taxi driver, and he's very, very good at driving around London, and they have to do the knowledge, and it takes them four or five years to be able to train for it. Now, the hippocampus in their brain, which is the part of the brain that is responsible for memory and spatial alignment, it actually gets bigger in a London taxi driver. So what that's proved to us is that we can change the shape of our brains. It's not fixed. We can change them as we go along. And this is something that neuro-linguistic program very much works with. We change the neural pathways that you've got. We do a lot of timeline therapy, so we'll go back in time a particular event um, you don't need to share that event with me either so it could be something that you just discuss you know internally in your head and we'll look at the lessons that you've learned from back then and we'll apply those throughout your timeline into the future however it's appropriate and um, so I'm a big fan of neuro-linguistic programming the other thing it assumes that we all have the knowledge within us to know what to do so give you an example of that um an example that i did myself i was going to a place called bike park wales i've got a few of my biking buddies on here and um it was going to be the first time i was mountain biking 
and I was petrified of getting to the top of the mountain, going over the edge and losing all control. So I worked with someone else and they said to me, well, what do you need? And I needed stability, I needed confidence and I needed determination. So we looked at three different examples where I know I've got stability, confidence and determination. And we applied those three principles to the moment I was going to launch myself off the edge and do the mountain biking. And we use a lot of visualisation as well, storytelling. And to be fair, the first time I found, uh, tried mountain biking, I aced it. And I'm not quite as confident now because I've fallen off a few times, but I was, I was fine the first time. But we can do a lot of technique like, techniques like that. So as you can imagine from hearing my story, I was petrified of public speaking. And mm -hmm. throughout my whole corporate life, I never, ever stood up and gave a talk. Whereas now I stand up in front of corporates talking about anxiety management and I'm happy to speak in front of 300 people. And I use NLP a lot to help me through that. One of the other techniques I use is EFT, which is emotional freedom technique. And it involves a lot of tapping. So it's not dissimilar to acupuncture, where we tap through energy points in the body. Um, but we, instead of using needles, I use tapping. And, and um, we, we say different things as well. So we try and inspire each other. So I, I inspire you to repeat after me. Um, and talk to yourself through something that could be a limiting belief or a blockage that you have. So I use a few different techniques um, to move forward, but also to let the past catch up with you in a more positive way. Mm -hmm. So you, do you tailor your approach to every individual? So the absolutely yes, or the or, or the even the structure of the sessions. You, as I imagine you would tailor it to every person. The structure of the sessions or the sequence. I guess there is no set model as to okay this is what we do first and then second and then third you, you and, and some people respond better to things than others mm. so um it could be a couple of the nlp techniques i use would be great for a couple of people but not for everybody mm -hmm. and, and and some clients really resonate with certain things so obviously we'll do more of that some people are very good at visualizing others not so much so so it depends very much on the individual and what it is we're trying to achieve yeah absolutely do you think that what you believe in matters as well um I'll, I'll tell you a bit of background for my question eft emotional freedom technique is actually what changed my life initially um it's what someone introduced to me in a very scientific way before they even explained the actual tapping they said it actually helps you disconnect your prefrontal cortex so you tap into your subconscious mind and i said okay that makes sense then i realized it actually comes from chinese medicine which is you know a whole different story but at the end of the day perhaps it's just a different way of explaining the same thing but you know for me this has been really really um really really helpful um and it makes me wonder where it comes down to what you actually believe would work for you or it's just a matter of how you how you process information and what is let's as you said you're good with visual visualizing things and so on i think there, there's a, an element of both to be fair and um, like I said, a lot of my clients have come to me um, through other people. So it's not the client themselves that have referred themselves. It's, it's you know, a parent or a son that referred me to his dad. Um, people can be a little bit more sceptical when they first come. But when they start to see results for the first time, they trust it the second time. And, and there are some techniques that um, 
much fail-safe techniques that I can use on people initially, but then they'll start believing in the system. So um, I, I haven't found that to be a problem, even if people are skeptical initially. Okay, so they just open up to it as they get to know you yeah. and yeah. trust you. I think that relationship between you and the and the client is really really important because mm-hmm. maybe more Absolutely. than belief it's about putting the trust in you that you yeah. can help them and empower them Absolutely. like you said which leads me to the next question tell us a little bit about the empower program <laughs> now i'm jumping ahead here I'm, I'm, but if, i think it's a good time to tell us a bit about that sure so i decided there's um seven different principles that we all needed to understand and pass through to get over our anxiety and to start off so the proven and power program you've got each letter e-m-p-o-w-e-r and we start off with the um, enlightening education enterprise we then go on to the motivating mindset masterclass the powerful purpose provider the optimal ownership opportunity the wonderful what why when and where workshop Effective empowerment experience and the revolutionary relaxation recipe. So within those seven modules, we work through different areas of your life. Um, question what you know today. So it would include the, the first category, the first module would all be about education. And we talk about um, what anxiety is. Now, anxiety has been around um, since this time began. It's the reptilian part of our brain that holds the fight, flight, and freeze response. And it's, it's 200 million years old. If we didn't have this response, we'd be dead as a species. This has been what's kept us alive all these years. So, for example, if you were to step out on the road in front of a passing car and it beeped and you jumped back into the pavement, that is your anxiety that has kept you safe. And it can be a bit like a physical pain. It's, it's a bit like if you put your hand on a hot stove and you pull your hand away. Anxiety is instinctive. So there's no um, decision involved. It is just instinctive. And it then releases a lot of the um, stress hormones, the cortisol, which is a good time actually to bring in the fact that this will impact on our immunity systems, especially right now when we're all in knockdown. A really important time is to manage your fear and your anxiety whilst it's a completely normal reaction to have and one that we should be having right now we need to be able to manage it and have special tools and techniques that can help us because we want to obviously boost our immunity back up anxiety is a good thing however it can get to the stage where it's too overwhelming and we can't control it and that is when we need help uh, to manage it. A, a lot of anxiety comes from learned behaviours. Mm-hmm. We can inherit it from, like I said, very, very young age. Um, we also, um, there's a, a saying by Mark Twain, and he says, I've, got a lot of, I've had a lot of troubles in my life, and some of them even happened. <laughs> and I think that sums it up really well. Yeah. Because 91% of all the things that we worry about never actually happen. There's only 9% of the things that we worry about that actually come true. And over half of those are more positive than we predicted. 
when we break anxiety down into the reality of it and look back and see what actually was worth worrying about, it's very little. So we work through in the programme, we work through how we can change our way we're thinking, we can become friends with anxiety, we can appreciate it. It's always trying to tell us something and it's always something we can learn from it. So, so that's what the program's about. So um, from, from the educational side of things, because you know, anxiety can be split into many different parts. There's your generalised anxiety, there's social anxiety, which is the one that I really struggled with. Um, panic disorder, OCD, um, phobias. There, there's multiple different ways that anxiety can show itself, but it all comes down to something else that's underlying the anxiety. It's something that's, that's worried us in the past. And we have a physical response to it in our body. So if you have a situation, a situation, whatever it is, will trigger a thought, that will trigger a feeling or an emotion, that will trigger a behaviour, and then you'll have a physical reaction to it. That physical reaction might be your, you get butterflies in your tummy or you, you start having really shallow breathing or your palms sweat or your face goes red or a, a number of different things. You feel numbness, tingling. Um, I find the easiest way to recognise when you're feeling anxious is to focus on that physical sensation because these thoughts come and go so quickly that they're not always easy to catch. But if you can feel in your body where you feel anxiety, you can start working a little bit closer with it. So if you understand the physical aspect of, aspect of it, you can question, well, how am I behaving? Well, hang on, I'm behaving a little bit erratically. I'm, I'm being a bit grumpy or um, you know, short-tempered or um, procrastinating or whatever it is. Um, okay, well, if that's my behavior, what was I thinking? What emotion? I was angry. Why, why was I angry? Well, I just thought about that situation that so-and-so over there didn't, they just ignored me. They just walked past me and ignored me. Well, hang on a minute. Maybe they didn't see you. And um, you just start thinking of things in a different way. It's a way of unraveling that thought process because it all happens so quickly. So we go from the educational side and um, seeing how we um, we have coping mechanisms. So we could we could do a number of things. We could turn to wine. That was one of my favourites. Um, we could um, become perfectionists at everything. We wouldn't do anything unless it's absolutely perfect. And that in itself is completely and utterly draining. Um, we could overeat. Or we could numb ourselves with um, sitting in front of box sets and and playing video games. Now, don't get me wrong, all of these are fine behaviours. There's nothing wrong with them if they're done in moderation. But if they're done to hide something else, something that's underlying, that's when the problems occur. And that's what we try and unravel. Um, why are we trying to numb? What are we hiding from? So that's the first step. And then we work on um, looking at mindset and um, how we can think differently. We all have cognitive, what are called cognitive distortions, and that would be things like catastrophizing, um, black and white thinking, mind telling, 
um, fortune telling or mind reading, sorry, um, the number of different ways that we think that it's the anxiety talking, not, not logical way of thinking. So we unravel those as well and we start recognising them. So we do use CBT to recognise our thoughts and try and catch them, we keep diaries. And then we know what we're addressing. So I'm not knocking CBT completely at all. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying it doesn't solve the underlying problem. We look at managing moods. We look at managing states. Um, my favourite one is um, I, I teach laughter yoga as well. And what it means is if you start laughing or smiling, so I used to always tell my daughter to put a pen in her mouth when she was getting grumpy because it makes you smile. And when you smile, your brain doesn't know if you're actually happy or whether you're forcing it. And the same with the laughter yoga. When we start laughing, our brain doesn't know if we're faking it or really enjoying it. And it releases the same endorphins. So we work on a lot of those things too. Um, we measure with the thought diary um, and then we manage with gratitude journal and or journaling in general so we can start tracking things so you've got you're going to see results as you go along the next one um of the module is looking at what is our purpose why are we here what are we trying to achieve um i think this one this, this is my favorite module really um this is where people you, you really get the penny drop moments um it's looking at um understanding who you are how you got to be where you are what you want to be and and do you want to change anything um, and this is where people life-changing things happen you know during this module really so that's why it's one of my favorites um, and and that's where we um start making putting decisions into place so that how we can change things the next one is the optimal ownership opportunity and we look at what we're hiding from we acknowledge all thoughts um if if we if we push something away i believe we push the solution away too if we acknowledge what we're feeling then we bring the solution closer to us we can't find a solution to something we're hiding from so we have to acknowledge it in the first place but because we've been through this learning process up till now it's not a scary process we're, we're open to acknowledging it because we can see that you're moving further forward and um, next step is the wonderful what and why workshop and we go through what is my anxiety trying to tell me and um, when do i feel connected to other people um, who is in my social circle and my environment um, how do I feel about my um, my identity, my role? So quite often that's someone's job. Um, you know, are they feeling valued, or it could be their role in the family? Um, and why am I here? Um, you know, what, what am I here to do? That's pretty empowering. It comes down to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I don't know if any of you've come across that, but um, after that we go on to the effective empowerment experience where how can we use this to our advantage um, I'm a big fan of giving back and I think well I, I know personally I have learned far more um, about myself from helping others when I'm ever feeling a little bit down the best thing I can do is help other people um, 
I've got a few of my other volunteers on the, on the line at the moment, so you know what I'm talking about. Um, and then the last one is the revolutionary relaxation recipe. And we talk a lot about mindfulness here, breathing exercises, the importance of movement, um, the importance of mother nature, um, like I said, being outside, exposing yourself to um, situations that you wouldn't necessarily get involved with, pushing your comfort zone. And then by the time of all of that's come to an end, you're thinking, what anxiety? Why was I worried? So it, it is powerful. It is powerful. That's really, really good. And it seems to me that it's not just helping, you don't just help people overcome the anxiety or make it their, their friend. But as you said, there's a purpose module. There are all these different things. So it's more about it's also about rediscovering and or reinventing if you wish you know yourself and discovering what what actually makes you tick and, and yeah. where in which situations you said with, with, with which which people you feel better why you're here and all kind of stuff which is all related and until you start asking yourself those questions you're kind of living somebody else's life <laughs> you're letting life happen to you yeah exactly creating the life that you want so this is all about creating the life that you actually want to have. Mm. And, and yeah. I, I found that myself and a lot of my clients, they've hidden behind the, the anxiety and not move forward. But once we start going through programs like this, um, you know, one of them's now started, um, you know, she's now um, teaching a drama school. She's opened up her own drama school. And beforehand, she wasn't like, like to be up on stage. Now, it was her passion. Dancing was her passion. She couldn't get from dancing in a in a living room, and now she's running her own business with it. So it, it is life changing. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And I, as you said, until something happens uh, that makes us realise uh, that we are, you know, we're just floating through life without actually living it. We don't even know. We just that's what that's what everything we've ever known. So what do you have any? um advice now i hope that you get to help uh, um, more and more and more people because i think a lot of people need this i don't know what the statistics are i think we talked about this before about how many people one in four yeah one in four but that's the official statistics isn't it so it's much higher it's much, much higher. higher and it's i think especially these days with kids these days let's say where parents are working you grow up in constant anxiety you yeah. grow up surrounded by social media which wonder yeah. the uh constant quick dopamine rushes which completely mess up your brain and then obviously there's a social pressure then there's your parents not being around so you're not having enough attention is probably highly correlated with anxiety as well yeah. it's just you grow up in, in surrounded by you know anxious parents constantly stressful about work so what are the odds that you grow up not actually that not not anxious at all i don't i don't think there's any chance of that happening so no and and you know anxiety is normal we all feel it all of us so if, if we're sitting a driving test or going for a job interview or, it's normal to get anxious so, um it, it's not something that anyone avoids but I work with um, one of the charities that I work with called Just Futures. Um, children are five years old and they have no self-esteem. They have no resiliency. They are just, well, they're constantly anxious. They, they are playing up. Um, I mean, I work on, I take calls for a helpline. Um, and we get calls 
constantly for people that are children are being violent and they're behaving so badly because they're, they're just so frustrated they don't know how to deal with their emotion mm. um, and I think that's anxiety that's coming through but nobody is saying okay that five-year-old is anxious and it needs help they're saying that five-year-old is anxious what pills can we give them mm. now obviously the pills yeah. they have a time and a place I'm, I'm not knocking them completely but they do not get to the underlying problem and it's the underlying issue that has to be addressed here absolutely it's the root cause the underlying issue yeah and that that's the that's the issue with a lot of um you know approaches to it whether it's um whether it's medication or or, or other more superficial approaches to looking at the issue there there's there is rarely a comprehensive approach to looking at it it's either a quick fix give you pills um, actually, I talk a lot about that in my book, uh, or some superficial approach, or talking about it for the next 24 years until maybe yeah. something clicks. Yeah. But there's ways to do things like the way you do it, which, which you know combines finding the root cause, reframing your thinking, as well as letting go of the trauma and the emotional attachment to the event that happened in the past. You know, as well as changing your behavior, as well as and all of these things together is what creates the change yeah. Yeah. Isn't it? it's not one thing or the other it's all of these things together because we get into the habit of acting in a certain way as well yeah absolutely and i'm laughing because we've got a gp on the line here as well oh yeah oh. <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> no i know that she agrees um so, so yeah it is, it is a holistic approach we need to have yeah. a holistic approach to everything and and there's not one um you know there, there is a time and a place um but but if we can do it without having negative side effects, then I'm all for that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, is there any advice you would want to give to people now, given the current situation, COVID-19, which I'm sure causes even more anxiety in people? Is there anything, any advice how to deal with or generally more stressful situations? Um, I would suggest that it's okay not to be okay at the moment. Um, there is an awful lot going on out there we are surrounded by negativity and um, one of the things I talk about on the course is that we have a negativity bias so what that means is if we were to is again evolutionary if we were to be living out on the plains and we had a saber-toothed tiger jump out at us we need to remember what that feels like to avoid that situation again if on the other hand we go skipping through a nice flowering meadow we don't actually need to remember that too much because it won't keep us safe it's a lovely idea but it won't keep us safe so we actually have this negativity bias and it means that we dwell on negative things more than we do on positive things which is why if someone gives you an insult and or offends you you are going to remember that far more likely far more intensely if they gave you a compliment, it's, it's how we're made, how we're built. So try and limit what you're reading in the papers and what you're listening to. Try and stick to reliable resources. Um, try and bring some positivity into the situation. Um, you know, that there are there's newspapers, a newspaper out there called Happy Folk that just deals in nice stories. And um, there's lots of good news that we can also look for. 
helping others, I think, is the main thing. And again, looking at who's on here, and I can see a few of you. Giving back, I think, is one of the most powerful ways to feel in control. It helps us, it helps our boost our self-esteem, it helps release the endorphins in us as well as in other people. So I think that is a really important part. Also, focus on what you can control versus what you can't control. So we have this thing called the circle of influence. And basically, if you were to draw a circle and you write in there everything that you can control. So you can control your routine, what time you get up, what time you go to bed, what when you sleep, um, when you go out and do your exercise, whether you decide to shower that morning, what you decide to eat, what you're going to, there's loads of things we can control. And they should all go in that, that center circle. When you phone your, your friends, when you're, we're FaceTiming later, aren't we, a few of us. So when you get in contact with different people, all of that is within our control. Draw a circle out of that, and that's our circle of influence. But that might be things that we have some influence over, but we can't control. And then your last circle is outside of your control. So at the moment, lockdown, when it gets lifted, is completely and utterly outside of our control. There is nothing that we can do to make that date change. So anything that is in that outer circle is just not worth worrying about. It, there's nothing we can do. So if we can focus back on what we can control instead of what we can't, we will feel more in control and a happier place. That would be my recommendation. Exercise, make sure you get outside. A few people have said to me they, they don't feel that they can get outside unless they've got a dog. Um, that's crazy. Get outside. Walk, get out on your bike, um, do some yoga. Um, all of these things make us feel better about ourselves. So th there's a lot we can all do. Stay in contact, I'd say, is the most most critical. Yeah, absolutely. And the pos positive thinking, in a, in a way, yeah. because yeah. the news can definitely be so overwhelming. And it's necessary to probably to follow everything and to, uh, to engage in that, in that negativity that's going on constantly. Yeah. Is there anything else you would like to add? And also, if somebody wants to work with you, I know there are different options to do that. So what is the best way to contact you and or to just start working with you? Lovely. Well, you can get in touch with me via my website. That is www.betteryourlife.co.uk. Or you can reach me on Facebook at B-Y-L, for Better Your Life, Anxiety Management, that Anxiety, M-G-M-P. Um, or you can call me, my number is 07503-067941. And, and if you wanted to get involved in the courses that I'm running, I'm, I'm offering 20% off of everything that I do at the moment whilst we're in lockdown. And if you're interested in getting involved in the course, then there'll be an additional 20% off um, everyone on this line today. And when is, when and where is the course? The course will be online. So I normally sell it for £400. Um, with the 20% COVID lockdown, it will be 320 And then you'll get an additional 20% off of that too. So. Okay, wonderful. So if anyone is interested, I will post all that information. Thank you very much for joining. Thank everyone. you very much. Thank you, dear. Thank you. Thank you. I'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.